0: Make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Hey, Food Junkies listeners, Clarissa here. Today we have an absolutely amazing episode for you. Molly Carmel is back on the show. She was our guest in the first season, and we're so excited to have her back. She is a friend and a colleague of Food Junkies. I wanna tell you first that she is having a Fired Up 2024 online retreat this Sunday, January 21st from 11 to five Eastern Standard Time. And this is an amazing opportunity to find your inner spark and get into a space of power for the new year. You can learn more at mollycarmel.com slash fired slash, and we'll have that in the show notes. And for our listeners, she's offered a special code that gets 10% off and it's Molly 10. Again, that will be, it's capital Molly. And then the number 10, that'll be in the show notes. Cause I know you all don't listen to the introduction when we do the guest, but uh, yeah, here she is. So Molly Carmel is a leading addiction and eating disorder therapist, founder of Beacon by Molly Carmel, which offers individual and group solutions to help people break free from their destructive relationships with food and dieting. She's known for her straight talk, no chaser attitude, and she's author of the innovative book, Breaking Up With Sugar, a plan to divorce the diets, drop the pounds, and live your best life. She's also the host of the former podcast, What You're Craving. If you've never listened to it, you should certainly check it out. Some amazing conversations on there. Molly is fiercely devoted to helping people break free of their destructive relationship with food, dieting, and negative body image to create the big, beautiful life they deserve. After battling an eating disorder for over 20 years and finding no solution in the available treatment space, she began to trailblaze her professional path, obsessed with helping people find real and sustainable healing. She's never looked back. Molly has extensive training in substance use, eating disorders, and is intensively, uh, in dialectical behavior therapy recognizing that it's not all about the food and the limitations that a brain-only approach has in treating complex issues like addiction and eating disorders. She's also a trained shaman, Reiki healer, and certified Tibetan bowl singing practitioner. She's certified in breath work and a dedicated devotee of daily meditation, and she's also a certified intensati instructor. If you've never taken a course with her, she offers them stay tuned, and they are just the best time ever. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We have a real conversation today about humble eating and you'll learn what it is and who it's for and maybe decide if it's something that might work for you. So thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right, we are so excited to have
1: Molly Carmel back on the show. Molly Carmel is so excited to be back on the show. I didn't realize till you talked, but I was like one of the first guests, and now I'm back. I
0: know. So we interviewed you in our first season, episode sixteen. So
1: what have you been doing since then? Is this like a personal life question? <laughs> like it can be I all of the things. I living somewhere. My whole life. It's. I just want to say to those in recovery, as I am, as my dear friends here are. Like the beauty of being in recovery is so much can change in your life. Like my life is the least static thing, like in the whole world. Like I moved, I left a relationship, I got a dog, I have all new friends, like, like, I don't know. So anyway, my personal life is, I mean, my life is fabulous, which I feel really grateful for. And, you know, I think, so I published my book, Breaking Up a Sugar was published in 20, good old 2020 And I have to say that, and I think you guys are like this too a little bit, like I love that prayer that they use in the 12-step groups, right? Help me set aside everything I think I know about whatever so that I can have a new experience of life. Because I think if you're an addiction therapist, and I think especially if you're a food addiction therapist and an eating disorder therapist, of which I am, if you get stuck in what you think you know, you will end up hurting people. You end up doing harm. And I, I don't splice words with this, as you all know. So I think in the years that I, that Breaking Up With Sugar came out, I had this privilege of being exposed to so many more people than I had in my little teeny New York City clinic where we had, I don't know, 80 people, whatever. I mean, and this Facebook I just started to see what was happening. And I got like a a larger sample set of what people were experiencing. I think, and some of the things I learned were like right when I thought diet culture was just insane, people would write me on Facebook or Instagram and say like, have you ever tried the caffeine diet? And I wanted to be like, I didn't know that was a thing. And I and I wanna talk through why you think that's like remotely a good idea, right? And then I think the other thing I really started to lean into was, which I wrote a book on this, but I really like, it's like, this relationship we have with food is a relationship. And in order for it to work, we can't, it's like an inside job. We have to get really in tune with ourselves. We have to like really radically accept it's a working document that we change and it's going to change. We have to like be aware of what the factory, I use like a kite analogy, you know, like sometimes the kite gets to be like up in the sky, waving in the wind. And sometimes I got to like pull back the kite because it's dangerous winds. Like, and that, that is something that we aren't talking about a lot. Well, the three of us are, but it's unusual because, and frankly, the real reason we're not talking about the relationship is it's, it's really bad sales because it's empowering people. It's getting them to know themselves and it's getting them less dependent on a product if we're really honest, which is my love language. So I've been really working on that professionally. I mean, if I'm really transparent, I I also moved to North Carolina and I did so much healing in the last two years of my own healing. And I say that because I'm a well-known coach and therapist and all all of us should be doing our own work. And I had a lot of work. I left a relationship in 2021 or 2022 and I had... It was a great message to me that there was, I was ready for more healing. I love that. I just want to say this to anyone listening. If something comes up, it's such a great opportunity for healing. Like I thought I was healed, which is a funny thing to think because none of us are ever healed, but I had such an opportunity for healing. And so I've done a lot, I've done a lot of my own healing work in the last, since I was last on your show. Yeah. um, And I
0: think a lot of us can think too, like, I thought I was in recovery, but then as I continue to lean in, recovery just gets bigger and more beautiful and messy sometimes too, but... We're just always in recovery, but it's not always what we
1: believe it was supposed to be. Oh, ain't that? Yeah. That's like that, you know, Joseph Campbell, we have to give up the life that we thought we were supposed to have for the life that we're supposed to have. Or I mean, that's not what he says, but he says it much more eloquently than that. But, um, but yeah, so I think I've really been about what I've always been about, which is helping people to, you know, find freedom, but in such a. A different way because I think I start I'm starting to see the holes in the process in a very different way and then I think frankly my own healing allowed for me to be more available to other people's shadows which is why we do our own work like I had to go sit with my shadow a year and now I'm like totally comfortable with shadows and that's what we find in the coaching world right like People can't hold other people's feelings. And if you can't hold other people's darkness, you can't help them heal. Like, that's just what's true.
2: Yeah. We can only take people as far as we've gone, mm, right? I know. Yeah. And I believe, like,
1: um, I believe you can find a coach or a therapist who isn't in food recovery that can help you through food recovery. I'm not, I actually believe that wholeheartedly. I've had amazing people help me in my life. Just think sometimes when, you know, when they have the thing, it's
2: a little easier. <laughs> it, it definitely bypasses, right? Like it, it gives yeah. you kind of a shortcut. But yeah, I mean, like I don't need to be in recovery from meth addiction in order to help my clients who are trying to get off methamphetamine, right? That would be like, I would have to have done every drug known to man in order to like be like helpful. And that just isn't like reality for sure. I mean, there probably is that person, but I bet that there's like so few of them, right? Yeah, like <laughs> raising her <your> hand. <laughs> there's for so those few of, of them that's like done all the things, and you know, like you're just one person, Clarissa. You can't take them all on, right? So, um, so yeah, yeah I'll just be in your shadow. You. Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I think that's you know, and so I'm really moving my model a lot right now because I think there's plenty of people around that are like kind of mean abstinent-based food addiction therapists you know, rough and tumble this way or no way. And even the idea of breaking up with sugar, I think is on the road. I think it's a, I think it's a point on the road for some people to find ultimate freedom. And I'm naming ultimate freedom, humble eating. That's my name for it.
0: Okay. So can you tell us what is humble eating? Like, if you were going to talk to somebody about like this way of eating, what it looks like, if it might be um, the right way to approach your relationship with food for you, what would you say to that?
1: Not to be a crazy, I think it's every, I think it's the way. Every. I, I never. I never say things like this. Like I'm a DBT therapist. This is like a. Le- like I literally think it's everybody because it's about selection. So I love like the Goldilocks idea. So in our world. We usually have, we only have two chairs of offering. Well, not with this crew, but in general, there's two chairs we have offering. We have the two big chair of intuitive eating, right? Like do what your intuition says. And I've had the author of intuitive eating on my old podcast. And she said very clearly that she believes that the intuition can override anything, including ultra processed food, which is just, it doesn't have data attached to it. And intuitive eating is such a wonderful concept, In practice, it's very hard given the nature of the endocrine system, the nature of the nervous system, the nature of the world, and the nature of how food is made. So that's the two big chair, right? And so many of us have nearly drowned, myself included, have um, nearly drowned in that big chair. And then we have the small chair, which is what I would call like vigilant abstinence. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's too solid. I'd say it's sort of like a high chair. You know, and it's 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 it holds us, right? It holds us really tight. And a lot of times when we're in early recovery, and I would say this for myself too: like, I needed a really tight chair in order to get my, to find myself again. And I needed to weigh and measure and I needed to take sugar and flour out and I needed to meal regularly. I needed to, I couldn't eat past six o'clock when I first started my journey. Okay, great. And vigilant abstinence is amazing. And lots and lots of people are okay with that being the end point. And lots and lots of people find that chair eventually as they're growing Spiritually, emotionally, to be too restrictive, and there's not an alternative, and also not a time to get to know yourself to sort of create the middle path of those chairs, right? So it's not going into that big intuitive eating chair, but it's also not staying in that small restrictive chair. The humble eating chair takes the greatest hits of those chairs and makes your own chair. And it's a working document, just FYI. I'll say it so the day I die. Any food plan should be a working document. But, and so it's about having more, Freedom, it is bringing in your wisdom. It is taking what you know to be true and acting on it, right? Knowing what works, knowing what doesn't, and acting in accordance. That is what humble eating is.
0: So if I am someone who has found a lot of, let's use the word safety in a 12 step, very, you know, or maybe a bright line eating or very, you know, structured, rigid food plan. Um, how will, how do I move to this space? What if I'm afraid? Do. Of I, don't, that think do. I okay. don't think you do. I don't
1: think, here's what I think. I really don't like, I was just on the sugar summit and he like, and and um, the my interview, he was like, well, what about people in the health at any size movement? And I'm like if if that's working for you, don't move, right? Like if a really vigilant rigid food is is making you feel happy and experience joy and have a big beautiful life, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What I find cuz people who come to me like my message is that there's people on Bright Lane eating, feeling shame, or or rigid food food addicts Anonymous, like fill in the blank. This is really rigid programs, which are amazing and help people get so well. And a few years in, they find themselves, you know, sneak sneaky eating having binge episodes, even having like a desire to binge, wanting to add Ezekiel bread, but it's like, quote unquote, not allowed. Like there's all sorts of the rules and regulations that it sounds to me like their wisdom might be saying, Hey, like I'd like a little bit more. And there's so much data that supports trying new things, expansive, like it, it goes down to like the most biological process. So I think if you're doing those programs and you're just like happy as a little clam malicious, like, why would you break it? <laughs> and if you're like, I think I need a bigger chair, then let's build you one.
0: Yeah. And I think this is often what we do find anecdotally as well is that, and I can speak to my own personal experience was in the beginning that did give me that happiness and joy and freedom. But now I'm seeking a different level of freedom, a more expansive level of freedom. And which makes
1: sense, right? Like if you're really doing the work, the food plan's not going to fit anymore. Like it's, and by the way, you could do it across any relationship. Like this is why like couples go on date nights, like literally, like it's to keep the relationship fresh, right? Like this is why I, I just, I think people get very invested in the rhetoric that comes in addiction and certainly food addiction, Which is, you know, if you step out of the box, you're bad. Your addict is in charge, like whatever your addict is in charge, like none of that. And listen, I'm a highly specialized trained therapist, doesn't, and, and a trained shaman. None of that resonates with me. None of those scare tactics resonate with me. I don't even think if you go and binge on a pizza that you've really lost anything, if you're willing to like take a minute, figure out what happened and learn from it.
0: Yeah. So how do you work with individuals with humble eating if they have a return to use?
1: So I think that that's like, I think that's the whole point, right? Like the whole point of humble eating is to create an ideal of what you want your relationship with food to look like and start to work towards that ideal. And I don't know about you guys, like there have been times in my life, a great example would be in 2020. So I have, so in humble eating, you create these like knowledgeable bright lines that you know upon frequency, intensity, and duration that you need more support. If you can't pull it back on your own, the string, that you need more support. So this literally happened to me. I've been abstinent from sugar and flour for 14 years. In 2020, I started night eating again. It was an old habit of mine. I mean, what a great time to start night eating. There's like a global pandemic. And I was living with my parents. I mean, the the place where it happened. And, um, I just started night eating and like, up, up, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like popcorn, you know, it's like, it wasn't so exciting. I mean, the, my old binge eater would be like, what are you talking about? But I sort of started to observe it and it happened for like a week. And then I said like, okay. And so like, I have these guidelines and I'm like, okay, I'll give myself three days. If I can't get it back together, I need to get help. Couldn't get it back together. Hired Nikki Glantz, who, uh, is milestone CEO and, um, my in recovery CEO and, and wrote the food plan in my book. And I said, I need you to treat me. And she treated me for four weeks and I was like, good as new. I don't know. I don't know any other way to do it. I learned so, I find no shame in that. Like, like I learned so much about myself. Like I had such an expansive experience. I became such a more compassionate person. Like there's sirens. Like we're here to learn. Like the whole part of human condition is to love and be loved and learn about ourselves and grow it wasn't like a i don't know it just was wonderful so that's i think that's how you figure it out and the thing is right if we if we catch the fire when it's just a cigarette butt in the leaves and it's not a full blown forest fire we really don't have that many problems that's why part of the humble eating process is figuring out these things that get you alerted if you can't manage on your own you commit to yourself that you'll get some help for it like it's it, it, i don't know i i think it's amazing but i made the program so what am i going to tell you
2: It sounds like what something we talk about a bit, like where it's just information, right? Like we have so many clients that panic, right? Because in any other program or some of those more rigid or structured programs, right? Like that's a relapse. And now you're like back to day zero and you can't share and you can't, right? Like whatever it is, the rules are for the program, whatever. And and meanwhile, we're like, well, this is information. Like what's going on there? Like what can we learn from this and what corrective action needs to happen in order for you to be back on that trajectory that you want to be on? And that's what it sounds like you're really kind of like. And if somebody
1: comes in, you know, hair on fire, addicted to sugar, it's probably not you, your intuition, you know, your your humility can't be accessed, right? Like, so we have to get someone some traction off of addictive foods usually before we can, you know, you create your ideal when you're in the middle of being high on sugar, you're going to undersell yourself as we all know. Right. So. I think that's really this whole thing about I don't know when it happened that we just gave all of our power away, like myself included.
0: So was that kind of what was highlighted when you had that those night eating episodes, you went and sought help? Like what
1: was highlighted that changed or shift things for you? I think um, in that particular episode, like it was just covid. And I was so scared that, you know, birds fly, fish swim. I'm a hardcore binge eater. And I think I was going back to the oldest, I was in my mom's house and I think, I think I just needed support. Like I don't have another answer. Like I just needed someone to take care of me and be on my team. And I needed an audience that I was paying to be my person. Like, and it healed me right up. I mean, when have you heard of treatment in four weeks, right? Like, I was like, okay. And like, literally, I remember about like four weeks and I was like, Nick, I am all good. And I will let you know if I'm not. And it was like, that was it.
0: Yeah. So essentially the uh, episodes that you were experiencing highlighted what you needed in that moment. And then you were able to get what you need.
1: Yeah. If we look at what you guys are saying, obviously is exactly right. Like if we look at the food as more diagnostic and less moral, it, there's everything to learn. Like, like a it, signal, right? Like a, like a siren. Yeah. Yeah. Like a siren. Like, of course, I, I, of course I needed someone. Like, that's what we're made for. But if I was looking, I mean, if I was looking at it through shame-based lenses, I, I, I I'll tell you, like, and I don't, don't hear that I believe that humble eating is intuitive eating because I don't. I would have been on my back in a hardcore, what I would call, I guess, a relapse, And not, and for me, the problem with that, okay, is not weight or whatever. The problem with that is usefulness, right? Like I would not have been able to show up for my job. I would not have been able, and that was a time where we were all showing up big for others. So my oxygen mask got thwarted somehow and I needed to get it back on really tight. And the only way I know how to do that is how I would tell someone else to do that, which is go get some help. So you feel that this is a, it sounds
0: to me that it is much more self-compassionate way of approaching a relationship with food and even body in terms of like how to be in relationship. And so if I'm somebody that's interested in that, what does it look like?
1: Well, I mean, there's like, listen, there's like, you know what I think is really interesting about it? Just, which is not to us. But probably, if you're listening and you're like in a rigid food program, like this is like groundbreaking idea, and it's, I think I'm very smart. I'm obsessed with myself, but like this is pretty obvious. It's just that nobody's letting anybody out of their grip of rigid abstinence. Like that's the innate problem. Is that? If and what we were saying, I forget it was on this podcast or the podcast before this, which was so good. I'm so, so sorry I missed our conversation before this, but. I think there somehow has become this collective belief that is so rigid and so not in the spirit of being in a relationship with something you have to do, which is eat, that what I'm talking about here is groundbreaking. That's wild to me. It's wild to me that we're like, wow, tell me more. Tell me about the 12 steps, right? Like that I'm writing my second book about this, that we've gotten so thwarted by intuitive eating culture and diet culture and that- this idea of like, oh, like, let me just figure out what works for me. Let me do that. Let me have some guidelines around when I need to pull back on that because the nature of food is that it's going to get out of control because we eat emotionally and because we go on vacation and because we lose our way. That's just in human nature, right? It's like, to me, it's just, it's a sad state of affairs in many ways.
0: And what happens, like when I am hearing from other maybe professionals in the field or, you know, some of these programs that have quote unquote worked so well for others that I feel maybe aren't working for me, when they say, like, this is just you thinking about a return to use, you know, you're in something that's working, you know, how do I deal with that cognitive dissonance of knowing I, I want and need something different? But you know, this is all I have right now, and it seems to be doing okay. Because how can I trust myself if the last time I trusted myself, I was
1: back in the food? I think actually, Clarissa, you—we're all friends, me, Molly, and Clarissa. Just FYI, so we're just going to like share things from our friendship conversations. But you were saying this to me the other day, and really, it really hit hard with me. Like when you are the victim of hardcore diet drama and trauma. I don't know how we help you with this, but I would literally do anything to help you with this, listener. You are the most vulnerable for the rigid vultures because they can take advantage. And I don't even know how consciously they're doing this. Like I, I think it's like their trauma. Like I'm trained in polyvagal theory. Like I'm trained in trauma. Like I think like their traumas meeting your trauma, and they're just like having a trauma party. <laughs> like I don't even think it's, I don't think it's malicious. I don't. I hope it's not. Maybe that's just how I sleep at night. But like, I think the first thing you want to radically accept is like that you are a very vulnerable person. And this is what Clarissa was saying to me on our call the other day. She was like, ba- you know, basically saying like, yeah, Molly, like it's people who can read breaking up with sugar and like take the program from that book are like not people that are coming to see us. <laughs> like they're like, thanks for the literature, Molly. I'm good to go. Now people usually who are at the point have tons of, of diet trauma, which also means tons of inaccurate messaging about who they are as people, because whether we like it or not, diet culture has made this moral. Fun story on an aside that I watch, obviously I'm Instagram friends with Clarissa Molly. I watch Clarissa work out every single day. And my negative talk comes on so big. And I think, That girl is so happy. That girl is so happy. She is, by the way. And then my second thought, if you just want to know, I am like a highly regarded eating disorders therapist friends. My second thought after watching her be that happy is maybe she needs to put me on a food plan. All I'm saying is that I can understand that I'm vulnerable. When that thought comes up, I know I'm a vulnerable person. I just think it's like adorable of me. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Like she, the right food plan. Anytime it's about the food plan, I'm like, Molly, love bug. You know, what time is lunch? And you know what you're eating? Let's chill out. So, I guess the first thing is like, can we just understand that we're really vulnerable? I think that's the first place to start. It's not easy. What the question you're asking is doesn't really have an easy answer, Clarissa. It's like, if you can understand that you're really vulnerable and you can understand the messaging that you're often getting if you're in that rigid program, is that you're bad or you're wrong or you're something and it feels moral, like you are pro- like you might be in the right program for you and you might want to find a different approach that doesn't make it so moral. I There's a woman, she was on my podcast a while ago and she was like, I just hated you with my heart and my soul. I despised you. I couldn't stop watching you, but I despised you because you were just so nice. Nothing resonated more with me in my entire life because I was like that. I was like that and then I just started to get trained more spiritually and I was like oh that doesn't work like the only way we're ever going to heal is if we get nourished and nurtured in the in a loving way.
2: Yeah. You know For what's me. so funny what's so funny about that Molly is that a lot of feedback that I get from my my one-to-one clients is that um because I ask those kinds of questions right like who are you fundamentally like beyond this like you're so like you are so vulnerable to all of this. And I like, I always want people to come back to their internal compass. Like, what do you want? What does your voice say? Like what lines up with your moral value belief system, whatever. Right. And my clients say, nobody else wants to work with me because I ask these very hard questions. They Right. Like so many people are vulnerable and they don't, they can't acknowledge it or, or they they've acknowledged it, but they, they think, oh, this person with this really like structured program, this very prescriptive way. Is what's going to be the answer because I, right? Like my best thinking, quote unquote, my best thinking got me here, one. right? I know I, I hate that, hate one, that one, one so much too. I, I hate, hate it so much too. I hate yeah. it.
1: I'm so glad you're, when I hear people say that in 12 step rooms, I'm like, it did. <laughs> like, that's what I wanna, like, actually, it did because you're in this really loving circle with me. Like, Yeah. You know, the other thing is in the spirit of what Clarissa was saying is like, I think those rigid, I don't know. There's something, I remember this personally, like when I was, when I had this big relapse 14 years ago and I was gaining weight hand over foot and this nutritionist that I was working with, like I just was screaming at her all day because she wasn't working fast enough for me. It's like when you're that, when I was, I was so full of shame my body weight was increasing exponentially. I was gaining weight back from bariatric surgery. I was an eating disorders therapist. Like I was like, get this fluffing weight off me. Like stop talking about my feelings. Stop talking about like my compass. Like get this weight off me like right now. (laughs) I'm a treat. I'm an absolute treat, you know? And so I think that there is a part of this when you're really drowning that the cell, and again, like I have to tell you, I I mean, listen, I have like a very structured program for people when they're starting. It's not like if they need that and sometimes they just don't need that anymore. But I think that urgency, and remember urgency is never wisdom. Never, ever, 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 ever. It may feel like wisdom. You may sign an affidavit that says it's wisdom. It is never wisdom. And the problem is, is that diet culture feeds urgency. Like you're always going to find your little diet culture vulture that's going to match your urgency. That's going to say, yeah, totally. Let me get you some shakes and let me get you some supplements and let me get this weight off of you. But it's solving the problem to some extent. I'm not going to say it. I've been 325 pounds and not being 325 pounds is very relieving, right? But gaining back a hundred pounds is very disorienting. And so I think I just came to a point in my own recovery where I was like, I don't think I can do this one more minute. I got to do it differently. And I think that comes with time. But I don't know. It's like if they're being really mean to you, I just – I don't know. how to. That's not how we grow a flower.
2: Not at all. So does humble eating – kind of address that when you're when you're getting these messages of, you know, like this is what recovery is. This is what abstinence is. You know, how does humble eating kind of address that? Because that's exactly what, I mean, I get that question all the time. They're like, Molly, how do I know if that's the addict voice or if that's like my internal compass? Like, how do I know what's real? It's the
1: first time everyone's like weep on a show. <laughs>
2: Okay. uh, Well, we
1: don't address it because it's utter crap and it's sales technique. I'm like literally crying. And it's like awful sales. It's awful. It's awful way to treat another person. And here's the thing I'll say, if it's the addict mind, you'll know soon enough. And then that's data. And so it is. And then you'll really understand, like when I see Clarissa work out and I want her to make me a food plan, I only know that that's not going to work because of the times my addict mind took over and I made a new food plan and then I ended up binging my brains out and I'm like, well, that doesn't work, lady. The only thing that works is when you eat delicious food three times a day, maybe have a snack and then you go to bed, right? Like, and I had to learn that. Like nobody bullying me about my addict mind and having great retention in their sales, scaring me about knowing myself was ever gonna, Get me into a space where I could really thrive. I have this problem. My book agent actually had this like intervention with me in 2019. Because I was like going to all the healers while I was writing my book. And she was just like, Molly, you're not allowed to go to any more healers. Like it's in you. It's inside. Like, enough. Enough. She's a Buddhist. She's amazing. She's like, enough. You cannot go. There's you need a one-year high. And she's right. I was getting so. I was like giving away parts of myself over and over. And and I was like, and I was like a shell of myself because I was just needing this person to heal me. Like, that's not how it should feel. It's just not.
0: Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is I feel like, you know, it's definitely our harm reduction messaging when it comes to figuring out what foods work for you and being able to trust that and also, you know, like that. Maybe I am able to determine what abstinence is for me. Like is you that, get that
1: there's you get that that you get that that destroys people's careers as coaches, right? Right, like, and that it can change over
2: time, and it get can that get that bigger.
1: That destroys these. It destroys people's. Car- I mean, people do not want you to know this.
2: It's true. I I tell mean, people the all the time. I'll, I'd rather not have a job. I me would. Too. Rather, I'd rather clean prisons. Rather be they to, uh, learn how to. Listen here and go and be, um, you know, what is Dr. Nicola Perez deal like self healers, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I really love that, yeah, in that space for sure.
1: The holistic therapist on Instagram, if you guys are looking for her. So, the other thing that I think really complicates it and, and keeps people in these really abusive relationships is the relationship with the scale, right? So that's I think if and listen, I am I'm of I'm of the ilk of like I was not supposed to be in the 325-pound body. That was not health at any size, that was sickness at that size for me, my personal experience. But I think people get so this just happened in my Facebook group. This woman was in it was doing the program for a month, and she's like, It's not working fast enough, and maybe I need to go somewhere else, and maybe and I'm like, Well, there it is. That's not it. So I think the other problem is is that. I don't know that we need to like let go of the weight the way that healthy at any size is suggesting, right? Because I I don't, I think if you're not in the body you're supposed to be in, like I hear you like namaste that thousand percent, like I maintain an enormous weight loss. And at the same time, you kind of have to let go of how fast the weight is going to come off because it makes you incredibly susceptible to vultures, so the messaging that, yeah, let's do it faster. Yeah, there is something wrong with you. Yeah, you should start to weigh and measure your food a little bit more exactly. Like it gets you caught in a system where the only option you have is to break free and there's nowhere to go except for that I just, you know, intuitively invented humble eating. but There's nowhere to go after that. And then you feel like lost and the only place to go is with your tail between your legs back to the rigid program and be like a chronic relapse or whatever that means I know. I know we're going to like puke on camera. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like, again, like, I don't think this humble eating concept is like the most inventive thing. And the saddest thing is it's like super inventive in our, in our industry. Right. So talk
0: to me about maybe some pushback you've had because of this, because I already, I, we hear this from clients. Sometimes your messaging is dangerous. That your
1: messaging is dangerous. Yeah. Right. But the messaging that, that your, your addict mind is in charge isn't, I think we need a working definition of dangerous then, honestly, like what's right. our definition of but, dangerous?
0: Or is it that, you know, with your way of talking to people, you are encouraging them to relapse, right? Whoever's like saying that.
1: You guys know this. there the three of us. I don't, I don't drink. I'm not going to do anyone's inventory today. We don't have. That. I don't drink. Oh, good. A hundred percent of the time when somebody has an issue with you not drinking, what's the problem? They have a drinking problem. They're drinking. Yeah. Right. The only time someone takes issue with the fact that I don't drink is when they have a problem with drinking. So the only time, and by the way, I will say the same thing with sugar. I'll say 99% of the time, 99% of the time when someone takes issue with the fact that I'm not having dessert, they have a problem with sugar. I'm just being clear. I need to be very clear about these things. So maybe I'm talking in too much generalization, but I think it's necessary for this particular conversation. If somebody takes issue with the fact that I believe after some extended time with some abstinence, it's time to get in touch with yourself and get into a like more comfy chair, they have a problem with their own rigidity and maybe a threat to their job if they're doing this profession. That's what I'll say. No, I love that. And I agree
0: wholeheartedly with you. And I think we even come up against some of this in talking about these new semi-glutide GLP-1 meds. And yes,
1: yes, let's have this conversation. And and, one more thing in the spirit of these people who are saying it though, like one of my teachers said this to me many years ago, like healers are humans. Like I have I say this, I've been doing this work since I'm, I'm, I'm doing this work for 25 years. Okay. Like I have made mistakes so egregious, you know, but I'm always doing my work and I've, you know, I've worked on repair. I mean, I've done harm, you know, but I know it and I've processed it and I've made amends. all the things. Right. And it's like healers are humans. Like the, the other thing we need to work on is not idealizing people who are treating us Because then we have a misbalance of power. And anybody who's working with you, therapist, coach, psychiatrist, they're your GPS device. And if you're like me, I'm like, I don't want to take a right. And my GPS device will be like, all right, let me try to get you there taking a left. And if I can't, I'm just going to continuously tell you to take a left. That's like a pretty good coach, right? Like, okay, sure. Let's take the highway then. Sure. Let's get you there. I love semiglutides and I love bariatric surgery. I love them. I love GLP. I love the whole thing. When we're looking at, so I'm just want to talk, I mean, this might be unpopular opinion, probably a not on your show, but maybe like if we're looking really at this data on, um, on obesity and health and like, okay, like if you're in health at any size person, do you want to go head to head on this? Probably shut off the podcast now, but if we're looking at the ability to help people release weight and maintain weight, it's like really hard. Like it is like 1% hard. And especially with people who have burned out their endocrine system, which chronic dieting and binging have done. So this invention of the semiglutide of the GLP-1 injectables, this is what we're talking about people of injectables. It's kind of a miracle in its own way, because It's really giving people a solution to this problem that they didn't have before. Now, I know Clarissa lives in Canada, but here in America, we sometimes have this problem. I don't know about Canada because I don't live there. But here in America, we have this problem where we think a tool is a magic wand, (laughs) And that's where I take issue with it. So I have treated all sorts of people on injectables, and I've treated all sorts of people with bariatric surgery. The truth is, at least from my anecdotal perspective, they're very similar because the the efficacy to make them effective kind of do the same thing. So what I what I'm very scared of with injectables, actually, it's actually less the thyroid stuff and everything that everybody's talking and pancreas. Of. My number one concern about it is actually malnourishment, because if you're going to be using this tool, not magic wand, you have to learn how to change how you're eating in order to make this tool maximize your health. So I have I do tons of work on this. I like I'd say like I do tons. I have a whole program for it. Because I've dealt with people who are are intuitive eaters, right? And I'll say, listen, if you're going to go, I think this is very exciting for you, but we have to start to prioritize protein. We have to probably start to count some macros. You're not going to be hungry. We have to give different cues for when it is to eat, which is not going to be hunger cues. And these people are like, but I thought that there's no bad foods. And I'm like, okay. And what we, so what we have to do is like shift the goal which is no longer like exposing myself to all foods or good foods. I don't get involved in that. It's just like, if we're going to use this tool, we have to, you have to move the goal line. We have to have a different idea. So I think they're amazing. I just think in order for them to be effective, it's, you got to hustle. I mean, it's work. And it's like that with bariatric surgery, right? Like, by the way, I'm a huge fan of bar- I actually prefer at this point, bariatric surgery to injectables just because the long-term data is so much more clear. Like, I don't think we know what we have yet. And I'm a true harm reductionist, like my buddies with you, like if they're going to do it, I want to be helpful. And I, and I have patients, um, who like aren't candidates for bariatric surgery. They're more in that stuck 60 pounds, 60, 70 pound range. You have to be over a hundred pounds overweight usually to get bariatric surgery. And I'm telling you, I have this one, uh, I'll just tell you the quickest story about her. Her parents sent her to me when she was 13 years old. Bad idea. Anyway, and then, you know, she left treatment when she was eighteen. We were great friends. You know, I just tried to heal that her parents sent her treatment. but um, and then she came back to me when she was twenty six. and I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. Had a lot of eating disorder behavior in between, obviously. and just like, you know, it was like a half a pound a week, and she was just working so hard for like nothing. and it was like, and the the lack of movement just wasn't helping. It was just a, it was and I and so I actually suggested it to her. And because she had been working with me for so long and had like the, had like the, it was all dialed in. When she finally got the freedom that the um, that the injectable gave her, she's like, she is like thriving. Like she's in a relationship. She's applied to the top four business schools. She just got into all the top four business schools. When I first met her, she told me she didn't have any interests. I said, what do you want to do? She's 26. I'm not interested in anything. I mean, all the markers that we hope for all of our clients have sort of come true. And she's very, compl- she's very compliant with it. I have other clients that are just like eating their way through it. I mean, it's not, again, it's not a magic wand it's just a tool but i think a very effective one if you're willing to like everything else kids if you're willing to do the work
0: yeah and seeing that recovery is really about quality of life rather than you know doing things a certain way that it's and that's right harm reduction right is what we're talking about is if what you're doing isn't working like how can we make it just a little bit better so you have your life back and and
1: you're happy and you're flourishing and you're enjoying it. You're not just in recovery. And I have a friend who's on them and she's a recovering bulimic compulsive overeater. And she's in like four meetings a week now instead of like one every other. I mean, she's in because of it is I mean, it is a drug and it does like mess with your mind. I mean, it's a whole new, it's, there's nothing magic about these injectables to have them be successful. It's a total shift of everything. And especially with an eating disorder. So I'm not, you know, everyone's and like Can-. they're coming out and saying that it's also
0: really showing benefit for substance use disorder as oh, well. Awesome. It's reducing oh, yeah, yeah, cravings yeah. like in alcohol use disorder and oh, yeah. like gambling. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, totally.
1: Oh, I think that's what I mean. And that's sort of why I think it's so important because it does shut down that no. I think there's two kinds of people, right? I think there's people who, it'll shut down, who are not eating disordered and not food addicted, right? Who go on it. And that's, those are, those people I'm concerned about malnutrition because they like just don't eat. And it's so important when people go on it, I'm like, you have to start counting protein macros and start lifting heavy weights because of osteoporosis, everything like that. But I think for the food addicted people, it's a. Uh, I got to think of a better word than the than the curse word I want to use, but it's sort of like a. It's a brain. It's it messes with your brain in a big way, to have that noise and then sort of be able to do this. It's like a very and again like that's why I really think people need to get coached through it, right? And if you're not taking care of the nutrition of it, which I think when you're in this like obsession to get thin, you never think about nutrition. <laughs> and with those things, these things, you have to really be thinking about nutrition. Long story long.
0: No, but I think it can give you the space to do recovery where you won't have that space. If you're constantly blaming and shaming yourself because you can't follow something and you're always thinking about the way. then you don't have this space to even know what you actually need. And I, I certainly, I don't know if you have, but I've worked with clients who they just can't stop. They just can't yeah. stop. Yeah. They try so hard. And I would say that all day, every day, they are struggling. When you are all day, every day struggling, your mental health is deteriorating all the time. And you need something to help you have that pause, that
1: relief.
2: Would you we do. Be having the same conversation, like when we think about other substances of abuse and we use medications like naltrexone or suboxone right. or methadone, right? Like We are having some of these conversations, but not with the, like, I don't know, like, the just the anger and the, I don't know, like, there's, like, vitriol just coming from other clinicians, right? right?
1: Even with methadone, right, which is the most, like, hated of all, like, support systems. Like, if you think of opiates, like, opiates would be killing us. 8X instead of 3X, if not for methadone, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. So there are those conversations that help happen with other, you know, um, when we're talking about medication-assisted treatment with other substances. But I feel like with the GLP-1s, there's just been this like, like war from clinicians that are just like, this isn't how you do it. Like, this is like a, you know, crutch, you know, whatever it might be. Like, there's a lot of, again, like moral conversation around it that is just awful. And I'm with you, Molly. I'm like, a tool is a tool. And if it works for somebody, it works for somebody, but they need support through it. And if these things are helping to cut out the noise, to build the space, like you were talking about Clarissa, to even just be able to say like, you know, is this a good decision for me? You know, thinking about humble eating, right? Like, is this is this the most loving decision I can make for myself, the bran muffin or the yogurt, you know, whatever, then why, why are we so adamant that these things are, you know, I don't know, the devil incarnate. Sometimes I feel like people get so passionate about it in just this really strange way.
1: But, you know, here, here's, cause they're threatened when people start to behave, like just start, everybody should think like this big feelings are a function of the fight response, right? The fight response, the nervous system's fight response. So when everybody's having big feelings about a drug that doctors, like non-eating disorder, non-food addiction people are like, yeah, just say. I remember when I went to my bariatric surgeon like a hundred years ago and I'd never met someone like talking to me without using like binge eating or blah, blah. He was just like, yeah, like you weigh this much, your mother has a different endocrine system. She won't weigh this much. I think we should do the surgery because it does this to your body. I mean, it was like there was not a judgment to be seen. It was completely scientific. You're talking about people who have moralized or even spiritualized, right? But they they have a way of thinking about this thing that this disrupts completely. And frankly, I think it threatens my business. I'm not threatened by it, but it absolutely threatens my business. Absolutely. I couldn't be less threatened by it. Vaya con Dios. Go ahead. Go try it. Love it for you. But like start, I I would just wish everybody, there's this great DBT skill and it's called the think skill. It's only in the adolescent manual. Such a shame. And it's just think about it from the other person's perspective. Why would this person be having such a big reaction other than, and so the, the, one of the things in the think skills, you have to think of a benign reason. So if we set aside, let's just set aside the idea that they're right. Okay. Like this person's dead right. Cause they're my guru. And th- I believe everything that they say point blank. If we just say like, oh, let me think of some other reasons, like that would bring you back to your wise mind, right? That would bring you back to rest and digest, to vaso-vagal. Okay. Let me think of some other reasons this person might not want, might not agree with other than them being a hundred percent right, which is so rare that someone's a hundred percent right. What are some other ideas that might come to my mind of this person's opinion? Because that's all they are. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. It's all an illusion, right, Clarissa? It's all an illusion. None of it's real. <laughs> None of it's real. <laughs> But like, I don't know, I can think of a lot of reasons in my wise mind why, like, let's just say I was not getting my own help. Why well, be like, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's really dangerous. You're going to become dependent on it. You are going to become dependent on it. I just went to the, I just went to a whole three-day training on it. You will be on it for the rest of your life. But uh, just to your point, Molly, like- when, if you go on statins, no one's like, oh, you're going to be on those for the rest of your life. You sure you want to do that? Like, go on blood pressure medication, your blood pressure goes down. No one's like, hmm, sure you want to be on that blood. Like, it's the most normative thing. Right. And what
0: if I am going to be on it for the rest of my life, but my life is going to be better because of it? Like, infinitely,
1: like, infinitely better.
0: <laughs> this why, girl, why can't we you, say
1: that? I know, infinite. This girl, like, you know, she said to me this year is great. She texted me after our session in a, the end of November and she was like, I can't believe this is the first time in my entire life that I haven't talked about what I'm eating for Thanksgiving as a whole therapy session. And I was like, yeah, that's a meat, right? Because it just doesn't matter to her anymore. So we have tons of other things to talk about, like finding love and who she wants to be and how she's going to give back. And we're not like, well, oh, did you weigh and measure it? How accurate do you make the measurement? Sorry. I just got that so emotional.
2: Very... It's probably because I'm sick. I don't know. But like that. No, it's a really powerful me... story.
1: Yes. I mean, this has been a burden for her since she's 13 years old. It's had more than half of her life. I was on my first diet at seven. You know, it's just, I know. So anyway, we should just let's. We should the think skills are a very empowering skill. Let me think about it from the other person's perspective, or just from another perspective. And the only other thing I say, one of my teachers, Rob, always says this: like it's just an opinion. Everything's an opinion. Someone will say to Rob, my teacher, Rob, I have stage four cancer. He'll be like, that's an opinion. Like literally, like that's how strongly he takes. I mean, I don't know. You don't have to agree with that. It's just, I'm going, I'm extending. So you understand my point, you know, like, yeah, one person's opinion is that you taking injectables makes you weak or you're dependent on it. Another person's perspective isn't another, like, that's why we have to start to know ourselves so well. Mm -hmm. And I
0: think it is so hard for so many people to hold those, that space. The
1: messy middle, the gray, to think about things a few it's different ways. Diet culture has convinced has convinced us that we're bad, and it's exactly what Molly's saying about about methadone, and it's exactly what we're saying about statins, is that diet culture has thrived on us being bad, weak, wrong, not finding the right thing. It's our fault, and we're gonna have to really set that aside in our if we're ever gonna heal. If it's your addict mind, if you switching your salmon to chicken is your addict mind, promise you your addict mind will catch up with you soon enough. And then you'll know, and then you'll take a note, and then you won't do it again. Except for you will do it again. And then you'll learn from that. It's like, come on.
0: That is probably that you just wanted the chicken and that's okay.
1: God, I have the best chicken sitting in my fridge. If I had salmon on my plan today, I'd be like, nope, I'm going to have the chicken. Okay. What's next? I love live it. a beautiful life now. Bye. <laughs> see you later. (laughs) I love it so much.
0: So I don't, I I know we're running close to time, but I want to know like, what are you excited about that you're working on? Do you have any new programs coming out? Like where can our listeners access you get more Molly?
2: Thank
1: you. Well, I'm always working on something and I'm going to start writing my second book, which I think is really big. I've had a lot of my own. I was not going to write one. I was not going to, I was making this very anorexic, goals for myself about the quality of when I was ready to write a second book. And my spiritual practice said to me, how dare you? How dare you wait till the right time? You know, if there's one person to help and you have an idea, then you go write that book. And that's that, Molly. So next month we start writing the humble eating book. And then I just have these two programs over at Molly Carmel. I've really just tried to like make things easier, you know? And I have this amazing 12-week group called All In Intensive. And on again, like it just got downloaded to me. I've never seen people heal faster in my entire life than through this group program. And then I wanted to make like an individual program. And I'm like, but I only believe in the group. So and you know, I think the main two main reasons people get so well in this program is that they make their own goals. I'm not there, and um, and they have a whole community, and we sort of mandate connection. It's great, and then we have our humble leading program, and uh, that's an individual program. And that's like kind of what I'm up to because, and I'm, and I'm hanging with, uh, Molly and Clarissa much more getting involved with my professional life a little bit more since I'm sort of done with my, not done with my healing, but I did a lot of healing for two years and I was sleeping for a little bit and I'm waking up to that. And I'm very active on social media also. So I will feel like social media is like, I don't know. I think it's where I try to give back what was really given to me is on social. And so that's what I'm up to. It's great.
0: And does your new programs incorporate, I know you got uh, recently trained in polyvagal and you're very excited about it. And I did some somatic training and I've noticed this like extra level of healing that happens with it. So do, does these programs like access that information as well? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my whole team is trained in everything that I'm trained, you know, I make sure everybody, I try to mimic my training with my coaches, I just think it's like good practice. So everybody's in some way polyvagal trained and then everybody's DBT trained, which is great. So yeah, I just, and you know what? It's like, and if it, it it's just where everybody, I try to, Humble Eating is a little bit more like where you are. Like it's pretty, even though it's like a 12 week program, it's pretty individualized. Cause like, it has to be, <laughs> we're individualized.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for being I here. I just, I feel like warm in my chest, like mm-hmm. very, Like- just the love and the connection of spending time with somebody who is in this space that really feels similar to what we believe and how we work with individuals. It is just so nourishing to conversate with you.
1: I love the thing about us that even though there's a lot of people who are scared of our message that the three, like we don't step back from it. Like I've had, and I'm sure you have like all these food addiction people being like, what a funny little idea. It only works if you do it rigidly. and like, I, I mean, like you guys, like I've just seen it work. Like, but if, if this thing didn't work, I would do it. But anyway, but I love you guys so much. You're my buddies, oh, You're my best you. friends, comma work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> true, it's actually true. Love you guys. Love you love too. You.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies: Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life support group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers, that way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.